Let's just um, pray for the message. That God, I know he wants to encourage our hearts today. Um, like Rabbi Carroll said, it was more like four hours we were riveted to the TV uh, and such tragic um, events taking place uh, really in our time on our watch as believers in the kingdom of God. Um, sobering times, yet um, God has uh, given us hope in his son, right? He has given us strength by his grace and he has given us the tools we need to, um, to do our part to see that righteousness would reign. So we're going to talk about um, a lot of those things today. So let's just bow our hearts in prayer. Elohei Avraham, Elohei Yitzhak, Elohei Yaakov, Elohei Yeshua, Mishikainu, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. God of Yeshua, our Messiah, we thank you, Lord, for this Sabbath day, Lord, this day of sweet shalom, this day of rest this day that we have set aside to worship you and honor your name. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, God, change our lives, empower us, God, where we're powerless. Lord, break the shackles of darkness where we're bound and set us free in our hearts to love you and serve you with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and strength. And we ask it, Peshem Yeshua Mishikenu, and God's people said, Amen. Today's message is called Faith Under Fire. It's part three of our five-part series on uh, Emunah Chaya, living faith. Um, on the one hand, faith or Emunah is very, a very simple right, concept to understand, but yet on the other hand, it can be very challenging to practice. When all seems to be going well and our lives are relatively uneventful, the issue of faith is rare, rarely on our radar. We're just humming along as if it doesn't exist. However, when we face trials and struggles, the reality of our faith or lack thereof comes to the forefront of our lives. I want to tell you this morning, this afternoon, if you are struggling with fear, and let me put a comment here for a second. It's no accident that we're doing this series. If I could tell you the things that I know that people are struggling with is the antithesis of faith. Can we just come down with the trim just a little bit? Thanks. Is the antithesis of faith. And God is wanting to encourage us in our faith so we could overcome and not be buried by fears for struggling with Fear with sickness, with discouragement, persecution, financial issues. I want to tell you, then our faith is under fire. Terror, faith is under fire. Just, I'm not going to, this is not going to be about, but I just have to comment on this. I was listening to the news and in my watchings, an unbeliever said something very profound that unfortunately spiritual people don't get. He was sitting there and he was saying, you know, one of the experts commenting on what's going on, he's saying Westerners seemingly have no clue. They don't know, gee, why, are, why would someone who is a lifelong native parishioner, right, they've grown up in Paris, all of a sudden be willing to be recruited by a group like ISIS. 
and that the Western mind doesn't get it. And thus, we do nothing but throw a natural solution at a spiritual problem. The reason why they're running to that is because there is a spiritual void in the lives of mankind. And if we, as the body of Messiah, don't provide for them a solution, a cause, a purpose, they'll run to a cause that is the antithesis of God, like ISIS. To be willing. I want to tell you, do you see what they're doing? They're doing what God has called us to do as believers, to lay our lives down. But yet they're not doing it for righteousness. They're doing it for evil. They're laying their lives down. They're strapping bombs on their vest and exploding themselves for the cause of evil. And that's because there is a spiritual void that, could you believe it? A horrible, evil group like ISIS is filling. Friends, we need to understand the days in which we live. Our faith is under fire. And you know what? Last night it was Paris and it seems far away, but you know what? It wasn't but a couple years ago, it was Boston. Right? And 2001 right here in our backyard. Friend, we need to be aware. We need to be people of faith. It's only when our faith comes under fire through these various life events that we come to realize both its importance and where we're at. See, it tells us where we are at in our faith. I want to tell you, and I mean this in a good way. When we are not tempted to, but when we succumb to fear, when we succumb to doubt and unbelief, when we succumb to these things, that is a clue to us that we're operating not in faith and that we are in need of a big dose of faith from God. And our faith is easy enough to build because it is through our relationship with Yeshua. Each of us needs to understand that our faith will come under fire. And I know many instances in this very room that our faith is under fire. Our faith will be tested by God, but also it will be vetted by the enemy. You hear what I'm saying? We hear a lot about vetting these days, don't we? But our faith will be tested by God, but it will also be vetted by the enemy. He's not going to take our word for it or even God's word for it that we're people of faith. He will vet that like he did with Job and he'll do it in our lives. And God wants us to know that we could stand strong in the face of the enemy and every other trial and struggle of life that comes our way. Here's an illustration someone told. All sorts of things are tested to prove that they're genuine. When you go to a bank and give a $20 bill to the cashier, she holds it to a special light. Why would she do that? Because she is testing to make sure it's genuine. During the time when the Philippines were not using a special light to determine the genuineness of paper currency, the bank tellers would just hold the bills close to the light and then examine the pictures that were printed on the bills. He goes on to say, I was so curious what the teller was doing, and I asked him, how do you know that the, pill, that the bill is genuine just by looking at it? He told me that if the hair of the picture of the man on the dollar is not combed properly, 
The bill is a fake. We expect everything that has value to be tested. Everything that has value to be tested. The faith that is not tested and does not come under fire is the faith that cannot be trusted. God absolutely tests our faith. The enemy absolutely vets our faith. And so faith is an important factor in our lives as believers. So today we're going to look how our faith comes under fire through testing and why. First of all, Adonai tests our faith through various trials. That means problems, pressures, persecutions, tough circumstances, disappointments, loss, failure, as well as all the normal stresses that life brings. In adversity, we usually want God to do, this is someone wrote this, in adversity, we usually want God to do a removing job when he wants to do an improving job. I'll just be honest with you. Just recently, have I really began to learn the value of struggle? Of hardship? Of tsuris? Because I find... What the scripture says to be true, those challenges, those struggles, the hardship pushes me to the only place that has the answer, pushes me to the presence of God. And in his presence is where our faith develops and grows. To realize the worth of the anchor, we need to feel the strength of the storm. Kepha Aleph, chapter 1, says this. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Yeshua HaMashiach. I did a little acronym on trials. And maybe you want to write this down because you know what? We forget that trials aren't necessarily a bad thing. Not trials that come from God, of course, but not even trials that come from the enemy. Because God uses trials that even are birthed and conceived in the heart of the enemy to strengthen our faith. Trials will tempt us to doubt God. Come on, if we're honest with, with, with each other, that's a natural occurrence as you and I face trials. We're tempted, and there's nothing wrong with temptation, and because we're tempted, P.S., it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with us. And it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with our faith because we're tempted. We have no control of the tempter. Do you know that? He could tempt us with anything. And yeah, when we face trials, we're often tempted to doubt God. 
But I want to tell you that we need to be those who run to the Word of God and to look and to meditate on what God has said about himself because the enemy always lies about who God is. Did God really say? Is God really on your side? Is he just an ogre looking for his own welfare? Are trials refine us in the fire? We pray things, but we rarely understand the process of them coming to fruition in our life. You ever pray a prayer, God, purify my heart. God, build my faith. Well, you know what? God hears those things, and you know how God purifies our lives? Though you walk through the fire... He doesn't remove us from the fire. He says, though, though you walk through it, you won't be burned. But God will turn up the heat. And I'll tell you what, there is nothing like the heat of trial, of struggle, of challenge, of difficulty, of loss, of disappointment that tests the precious metal of our faith. And it's, no, it's not to be ashamed if... Our faith fails. If we're found to have impurity of faith, that's the whole reason for the test. That we would see it purified in our life. So we would know that we have more work to do as we draw near to God. Refines us in the fire. Trials also inconvenience us with their timing. Isn't it amazing how it seems like at the very worst possible time, something, right, like a challenge shows up at your door. And you say to yourself, boy, there must be something wrong with me. God must have it in for me. That why has this happened to me now in this part of my life? Yeah. Trials inconvenience us with their timing, no doubt. But guess what? If we're being inconvenienced by the timing of our challenges and our struggles and our trials, it's because God knows that there is going to be a faith event coming in our lives that we need to be ready for. God sees the big picture. We see only what's right before us. Trials accentuate our weakness. Isn't that true? When you're struggling and you're challenged and you just feel like you're under fire, boy, you don't feel like that big, strong, solid believer in God that you do when everything's going right. All of a sudden, you feel weak and you feel frail and you feel like, God, I don't have it together. And God, my my faith is at its wit's end. and, and, And God, I can't go on a second longer. Boy, trials will make even the bravest and strongest of faith feel very, very weak. But that's okay, right? Because God wants us to know something. In our weakness, he is strong. Do you realize that this whole thing that we live out isn't about 
how strong we are. It's about the strength of the God that we serve. Trials limit self-reliance. You know what, in this whole stuff that's been going on, you know what? No doubt um, the nation of France and the nations around the world will throw military power, right, at this problem that's in our world. That's self-reliance. But you know what? It is really a spiritual dynamic that only God could solve by his people crying out to him and his people seeking his face for his hand to move and his hand to do the impossible. Trials limit self-reliance. You know what? God will put you in a spot that you can't get yourself out of. You ever been in that spot? I've been time and time and time again. That if God doesn't come through, my goose is cooked. If God doesn't come through, it ain't going to happen, right? That's what a trial will do. So we could understand that we can't rely on ourselves. It says the help of man is worthless in the Tehillim. And it also causes us, trials will cause us to search diligently for the Savior. I know about you, I could speak to me. When I face trials and struggles of many kinds, it pushes me deeper and deeper into my prayer closet. Because I know at the end of the day, there is one person that has the answer. And it is Yeshua HaMashiach. And when I find him, and I find his presence, and I find his word, I find peace, and I find joy, and I find life, even though the circumstance might necessarily not change on a dime. But I find him. Friends, we as believers are often looking for the wrong things. He is the pearl of great price. You hear me? It's not a, He is what we sell everything for to buy the field because the pearl is in the field. James Packer wrote this. This is the ultimate reason from our standpoint why God fills our lives with troubles and perplexities of one sort and another. It is to ensure that we shall learn to hold him fast. The reason why the Bible spends so much of its time reiterating that God is a strong rock, a firm defense, a sure refuge, and help for the weak is that God spends so much of his time showing us that we are weak both mentally and morally, and dare not trust ourselves to find or follow the right road. When we walk along a clear road feeling fine and someone takes our arm to help us, likely we would impatiently shake him off. But when we are caught in rough, in rough country in the dark with a storm brewing and our strength spent, and someone takes our arm to help us, we would thankfully lean on him. And God wants us to feel that way. And he wants us to feel that our way through life is rough and perplexing so that we may learn to lean on him, thankfully. 
Therefore, he takes steps to drive us out of self-confidence, to trust in himself. In the classic scriptural phrase for the secret of the godly man's life, to wait on the Lord. God will do it, but then he'll also use what the enemy does and use it as an opportunity to drive us to lean on him. Friend, your faith is weak when you're leaning on the wrong source of encouragement and help. We need to lean on God. And the more we lean on God, the more we'll trust God, which will increase our faith. We'll know that God is faithful. Do you know what? We always want God to do it before we see it. God never works like that. He says, trust me. And like God, why why do you think God always answers in the last hours? Because he can't do it earlier? No, because if he did it right away, it doesn't build our faith. It doesn't build trust. Our faith comes under fire, secondly, when Adonai tests our faith through obedience. Warren said that he asks us to do things that are seemingly impossible. There are, in just the new covenant, over 1,000 commands for believers to obey. Think of that. Of all these commands, some of them seem unreasonable. Some of them seem inconvenient. And some of them seem downright impossible. Messianic Jews, chapter 11. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Yitzhak, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it is said, In Yitzhak your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. God's probably, no doubt, called you to obey him in certain areas. I can only speak for myself. Yeah, there's some times, occasionally, that I find it easy to obey God, but often God challenges us to the core of who we are and some of the things he asks us to do. Rarely are they in our comfort zone. They're usually well beyond us. They usually cost us something. Our walk of faith can be extremely demanding and uncomfortable. Like when God asks us to do things that are outside of our comfort zone, and especially when he asks us to do things that are counterintuitive. Like the passage above, God just gave the promise, now go sacrifice him. It doesn't seem right. It seems wrong. It seems like that would be the last thing he would ask me to do, yet he's asking me to do it. And now I have to obey it. Think of the, the, the turmoil Abraham must have been in in his heart and spirit. I mean, could you even imagine the anguish that he's going through? The struggle to obey God that he knows and loves, who has been faithful to him, that has blessed him. And yet, his son that God gave, that now he adores, the the promised seed, God is asking him to sacrifice the son he loves. Boy, that's, 
tough. And I'll tell you, obedience is really evil, easy. The scriptures are full of examples of these types. How many armies send out a praise and worship team before they go into battle? Does that seem like the right thing to do? Let's uh, send out the worship team first, the singers and the musicians. It seems wrong. It seems like that's the sure way to lose. Yet God commanded Israel to do that, to be obedient in that. In 2 Chronicles, God often places an emphasis on the few and the weak instead of the strong and the mighty. Gideon, right? Gideon's army was pared down from 22,000 men to 300. Who does that? Is that the way to win? Let me take these 22,000. What a group. Fine young people, men, seasoned in war. And I'll just take 300. It seems wrong. But yet, he obeyed God. And how did it work out for him? Awesome. God came through. Gideon obeyed and God brought the victory. Every believer faces obstacles along life's pathway. And walking in God's will doesn't guarantee that our way will be easy. But no matter how difficult, we can trust God and go forward in faith because God will make a way for us if we trust him, if we obey him. Here's an illustration that someone told that the entrance to a local hospital is an automatic gate. We've seen those, right? Designed to rise when the car activates a hidden sensor near its entrance. When I drive up the ramp toward the gate, it remains down, blocking the entrance. But as I get closer, the arm swings up, allowing me to proceed. If I were to park my car a few yards from the entrance, the gate would stay closed. Only when I move forward does it open. A lot of believers fail to move forward. Tempted by the lies of darkness. What if it doesn't open? What if it doesn't open and you mess up that brand new car? What if it stays closed? What if God doesn't come through and you look like a fool? What if... What if you, you do what God obeys and it ruins your life? So because of those fears, we hang back, waiting and thinking that, well, maybe God will open the gate before I get close enough so I'll know for sure. And all the while, the gate remains closed because that's not how it works. It's not until we move forward does the gate swing open. When we walk in obedience to the Lord and come upon a closed gate, we can confidently take the next step of faith. As we move forward, we will see God open the way. Faith is the gate between our peril and God's power. It is a matter, isn't it a matter of faith to obey? Yeshua said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Obedience boils down to relational trust. Are we willing 
to obey God because we have through relationship come to trust him in all things? In Shmuel Aleph, look what it says in 15, chapter 15. So Shmuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Those are potent words because God understands how important it is to obey. You know what? The faith that we enjoy today, the closeness to God that we have access through the Messiah was wrought on the backs of God's people being obedient to what God has said. The obedience of the Messiah himself. You see, it shows that we have more faith in our own way than God's when we disobey. That's what it's saying. When we disobey, it's saying, God, your way is not right. Because if we believed it was right, we would do it. If we believed that he was showing us the way to bless us, we would do it. But yet we don't do it. And it basically shows unbelief. It highlights unbelief and not faith. And it is faith that wins God's pleasure. So I want you to understand that obedience is of the utmost importance to us as believers in the Messiah. Next, we see that our faith comes under fire when Adonai tests our faith, listen to me, through stewardship. Did you know that stewardship is one of the greatest tests of faith in your life? Few people understand how God uses our material possessions as a test of character and a test of faith. And I'm going to draw your attention to Luke chapter 16 and verse 10. And it says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, namely God's, who will give you property of your own? So what he's saying, that our material possessions and our stewardship of that is like pablum. That's like the baby. That's like believing 101. To learn to be proper stewards of God's material blessing on our life. Once a man said, if I had some extra money, I'd give it to God. But I have just enough to support myself and my family And the same man said, if I had some extra time, I'd give it to God. But every minute is taken up with my job, my family, my clubs, and uh, what have you, every single minute. And the same man said, if I had a talent, I'd give it to God. But I have no lovely voice, I have no special skill, 
I've never been able to lead a group. I can't think cleverly or quickly the way I would like to. And God was touched. And although it was unlike him, God gave that man money and time and a glorious talent. And then he waited and waited and waited. And then after a while, he shrugged his shoulders and he took all those things right back from the man, the money, the time, and the glorious talent. And after a while, the man sighed and said, if only I had some of that money back, I'd give it to God. If only I had some of that time back, I'd give it to God. And and man, if I could only get that talent back, I'd gladly offer my services to God. And then God said, be silent, saying, come on, you you can't tell that to me. And the man told some of his friends later on, you know, I'm not so sure that I believe in God anymore. Or maybe he didn't believe in the first place. You know, the summary of the parable of the talents is that God expects us to do the right thing with what he has made us to be stewards over. You know? Whatever he's made us to be a steward over, he expects us to do the right thing with it. He expects us to do with it what he has commanded us in his word. And it is up to us to comply or not. Let's read the end of the parable of the talent and get to the bottom line of the principle. Look what he says in Matthew 25, 29. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. That's a heavy, heavy thought. But if you think about it, God has given us to be stewards Here, I don't know if this ever impacts you. Over the kingdom of the almighty God. You and I. It's pretty weighty. God will absolutely test us in the area of stewardship. And for those that fail, it is in reality a failure of faith. If we trust God, we will trust him in the areas that are most practical, the ones that meet us right where we live in our everyday lives. This is a very practical way we grow in faith. And you know what? God doesn't test us with the big things first. That's why he says, you know what? Our finances and our talents and our giftings and our obedience are the small things. And he he has us to start with that first. Be faithful in this very little principle. And if you want to grow in faith, be little in these little principles. And your faith will grow. And the last way our faith comes under fire is when Adonai tests our faith through delays. I know you wanted to hear that, right? In every prayer... If every prayer were immediately answered, you think you'd like that, right? 
If your every need were automatically met, if every problem were instantly solved, you wouldn't need faith, and your faith wouldn't need to be stretched, and certainly your faith wouldn't grow. But that's not the way God has made it to be. We have to wait on things. Often longer than we want to. Often longer than we think is reasonable. Even though it's human nature to want things instantaneously, and it is, God will often have us wait and wait. Our ability to wait and wait in faith is what God will test. Can you wait in faith? I draw your attention to Devarim 8. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. How long? That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out. Your feet didn't swell these 40 years. He tested for 40 years. Now, we draw drew attention to Joshua and Caleb, right? I mean, these men did the right thing, and for 40 years he continued to test them through delay. And some of us in this room are in a process of being tested in delay. God has spoken things to us. We're believing God for things, good things, God things. And it seems like it's one year, and it's two years, and it's three years, and it's four years, and it's ten years. And now you start certainly starting to question whether God's really in this or not. 40 years. And God was absolutely in it, testing our faith through delay. To those of us who are always in a hurry and hate delays, here's some good advice. Have you ever thought that someday you will not have anything to test you or anyone to vex you again? There will be no opportunity in heaven to learn or to show the spirit of patience, forbearance, and long-suffering. If you are to practice these things, it must be now. Yes, each day affords countless opportunities to learn to trust God through delays. Don't waste them. Because, you know, every opportunity we squander often means that God will retest us. It's true. You know what? God will retest us. Not because he's trying to drive us crazy. Look at me. He's doing it because he loves you. Because he sees, trust me, a faith event coming in your life that you're going to need a new level of faith in. And he's trying to get you up to speed so that when it comes, it won't crush you and cripple you and turn you away. So he's trying to, he'll bring another delay in, another test in. Why? Not to drive you crazy, but to strengthen you to be able to trust him through delays.
Commenting on our need for this virtue, someone has said, God's best gifts come slowly. We could not use them if they did not. Many a man called of God to work in which he is, to the work in which he is pouring out his life is convinced that the Lord means to bring his efforts to a successful conclusion. Nevertheless, even such a confident, confident worker grows discouraged at times and worries because the results don't come as rapidly as he would desire. But growth and strength in waiting are results often greater than the end result so impatiently longed for. I want to tell you that what God does, see, we are often result-oriented people, aren't we? We think the result is what God was after. The promise, no, you're wrong. God was more interested in the process because in the process, God was doing something in you that could only be done by going through the process. We want to pray, open our prayer closet, and it'd be right there. There's no process in that. Rav Shaul had time to realize this as he lay in prison. Moshe must have asked why many times during the delays in Midian and in the wilderness. And Yeshua himself experienced the discipline of delay in his silent years before his public ministry. You see, God wants us to see results as we work for him. He does. But his first concern is our growth, like any good parent. He wants to see us mature and grow and be the person he's called us to be. That's why he often withholds success until we have learned and grown in our faith through many invaluable lessons. The Lord teaches us this needed lesson through the blessed discipline of delay. People often pray things like, God, increase my faith. But they rarely take into consideration that God will sometimes extend the fulfilling of a promise in order to answer that very prayer. Increase my faith. Okay, I'll increase your faith. You know those other things you asked for? They're going to be prolonged. And by you waiting in faith, your faith is going to grow and stretch and increase. I want to tell you, it's invaluable. The pressure, the struggles, the heartache. We think God, he's not being mean. It's just like he's, he's not being any more mean than we as parents send our kids off to things that are out of their comfort zone. We do it because we know there's an opportunity in it for them to grow, for them to expand, for them to succeed. And often that's exactly what happens. We send them off to things seemingly over their head, but guess what? They compensate. They grow. They figure it out. They make a few mistakes, but they get, the, they get it down. And that's the same way God does it with us. Yaakov chapter 1 and verse 3 says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. But let perseverance do its complete work 
so that you may be complete and whole, lacking in nothing. That's what God's design for you is, so you would be complete and whole. You know, can I tell you? There's not a lot of complete whole people out there, not even in the body of Messiah. Because if we're not willing to go through these types of things, we're going to ever stay immature. I've yet to see a man, a woman of God, who's worth their salt, who's seasoned. Everyone with an anointing has been through it ten times over. And let me conclude with this. I want to give you some reasons why our faith comes under fire. There are lessons we would never have learned had we not struggled. There are studies we would have never made had we not struggled. There are scriptures that we would have never come alive to us had we not struggled. There are prayers we would never have prayed if we had not struggled. There are confessions that would never have been made had we not struggled. Sermons we would have never delivered if we had not struggled. Ministries we would have never had had we not struggled. People who would never have had been blessed had we not struggled. A maturity that would never have come had we not struggled. Yeshiyahu 48 and 10 says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. And Rick Warren says this, An old silversmith was once asked, How do you know when the impurities are burned away in the silver? He said, When I can see my reflection in the silver, and when God can see his reflection in you, then he knows that the impurities in your life have been burned away. That's the test. There's praise that would have never been given to God had we not struggled. That's why God brings these things into our life. It drives us, at the end of the day, closer to him in so many ways. It matures us in a way that can't happen just by thinking that we could go into a prayer closet, pray, and come out changed. Friends, that's not faith. Faith that changes us is faith that is tested and vetted, faith that's put into action and comes out the other side still believing, still trusting, still Understanding that God is faithful even when everything I see contradicts that. God's faithful, friends. But for us to really have a whole and successful life, we have to learn these truths for ourselves. Now, that's a funny thing about faith. We talk about faith as if we could pass it down. We could pass the concepts down but we really can't pass faith down because it has to be picked up and lived out by another human being. They have to go through their own testings, their own trials, their own struggles, their own hardship, their own difficulty, their own disappointment, their own loss, and still stand with God. 
And when we do that day in and day out and test in and test out, I can tell you that you are a different person a year down the road, five years down the road. But if we always cave back and shrink back from the gate every time it doesn't open when we're 10 feet away from it, we don't grow. We don't mature. We don't toughen up. And God wants us to be able to do those things. I'm going to close with this verse in Kepha Aleph chapter 4. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Messiah, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. Believers always ask why. Why is this happening? It's the wrong question. God very rarely answers why. God just says, come to me. Come to me. Sit at my feet. Gain strength from my presence. And when we do that, our faith begins to grow. And you know, there's going to come a time in our lives when why does it matter? Does it matter when we already have everything we need in him? Does it? Rich person doesn't say, hey, how come that person didn't give me the $10 they owe me? Kill us. They have what they need. You and I could have what we need in him. Faith under fire. I know some of us are in it. Some of us are going through it. Some of you will go through it. And the truth is we'll go through it many, many times in our walk with God. But he wants us to be steadfast, to hold on to him, to gain strength from him so we can be like, you know what? My wife mentioned it several times a few weeks back, last week, about the three Hebrew children. What allowed them to stand up to the fire? What a fiery test. That was literally a fiery test and trial. It was their trust in God, their faith, that God would somehow, some way, work it out. You know what? I believe that they probably thought it was going to hurt a lot when they walked in, but it didn't hurt at all. They probably thought that they would be singed and marred even if they got out alive. But guess what? They came out with not even a smell of smoke on them. And what do you think they learned from that? Do you think they learned that God could be trusted from that? (laughs) Do you think they were men that would change at the very core of who they are from that event? No doubt. It wouldn't have been so if they never went through it. And so it is with us. So... I want to encourage you. 
the hardship and the struggle that you might be facing, the delay you might be experiencing. God has a plan in it and through it. Some things he's behind, some things he's not behind, but he'll use to make sure you grow. Take him up on it. It'll be well worth the ride. Let's stand to our feet. You know, my wife um, mentioned that we have an Oneg today. We want you to stay. We have coffee and bagels. But I think she forgot to mention we also have whitefish salad. So if you're so, so inclined, you might, you might want to stay for a little taste. But I want to give you a second before we pray. Say, God, grow my faith. Say it in your heart. Turn my struggles into strength. My fears into faith. Do it, Lord. Help me to endure. I know this, that I know it, that I know it. God is 100% faithful and trustworthy. Doesn't matter what the enemy's whispering in your ear, what your eyes see. It's the truth of who he is. And he wants you to know that the same way. So, thank you, Lord. Father, I pray for your people here, each one, that you would help them, that you would grace their hearts. Lord, for those who are in the midst of their fiery trial, for those who are in that time of delay, Lord, those who struggle with obedience, God, that you would pour out an extra measure of grace a new revelation that they would get what I've been speaking about and it would come alive in their heart. And God, they would embrace what they're in, trusting that you know what you're doing and that you have a way for them and that it's proving to be a a benefit to their growth in you. Father, I pray that over each and every heart today. Help each one, we pray, in Yeshua's name. Yivrecha Adonai v'yishmarecha Yurer Adonai panna velecha v'chunecha Yisar Adonai panna v'lecha V'yisim lecha Shalom May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would bless your people, Lord, in this week, that you would pursue them and overtake them with your goodness and your loving kindness. And we ask it, B'Shem Yeshua Mishikenu. God's people said, Amen. Shabbat Shalom.